the thing is when you say you're driving for miles and you're seeing like an alligator crossing the road, all I'm thinking is suppose you didn't see the alligator. You know? Yeah, I run over it. And you run over it, like I don't know why I think the spikes are hard. You know, like you definitely recognize you hit something for sure. You you know that you hit something. So like it's all like you're talking from experience, Doc. <laughs> no, 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 I've never hit nothing. Not giving in prison. <laughs> I've never hit it. Sometimes I know exactly what you're going to say. Every single month your bank account is overdrawn. The world is a business. A husband is what's left of a sweetheart after the nerve has been killed. Walking around blindly with dead eyes, following orders, not knowing what they do, not caring. Obey! If you have selfish, ignorant citizens, you're going to get selfish, ignorant leaders. You mean like Democrats? Well, we both agree that must be the reason. Why not let the folks themselves ask for something that they like to hear? We are knee-deep in a pool of stagnation. Ah, oh, no, no, wait a minute, friends. You don't want to hear that, do you? Yeah! yeah. Hi guys, welcome to Objectively Incorrect. My name is Stephen Smith. I'm joined today by Dr. Dijon Maloney, who is actually from St. Kitts, which is great. Which is awesome. Um, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Maloney is an inpatient hospital medical doctor um, from the Capital Regional Medical Center in Florida. And he's going to be talking to us today about his experiences, um, where he became a doctor, and his experiences with COVID and COVID patients and COVID-related um, deaths. Sorry to put that at the top of the show, but we're going to be talking about some of his experiences with those patients, right? Um, Dr. Maloney... Thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, before we even get into the conversation, we're going to do a little fact of fiction, which we do every show. And this fact of fiction is actually going to be based on information about Florida. Ha, okay. ha, 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 ha. Dr. Maloney, I think you're going to ace this. I feel like these are easy, but yeah. Really? We're going to see. We're going to see how easy, how easy we think they are. So you ready? Yep. All right. So I'm going to give you a statement and all you have to say is if it's true or if it's false. Okay. Okay. All right. Number one, Florida produces more than 70% of the oranges in the U.S. True or false? I think that's true. It's 100% true. It's accurate. Man, you're, like, you're batting 100 already. It's going to be easy. That's just one. That's, it's one, but it's a step in the right <laughs> direction. You know? <laughs> okay. Number two. The state's highest, and the state meaning Florida, Florida state, the state's highest natural point, Brighton Hill, is only 345 feet above sea level. The state's highest natural point, Brighton Hill, is only 345 feet above sea level. True or false? I do not know. I would say false. It's actually true. Okay. That I don't is, know that. <laughs> and and get this and get this in Florida, the lowest this is the lowest high point in any state in America. Oh wow. So, but it's the highest in Florida. It's the highest in Florida. It's 345 feet, which sounds really not much at all. That's like a, a third of Mount Le Amigo, really. Yeah, I don't know which which city that's in. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, number three. So second only to California, Florida has the most golf courses in the USA. Second only to Florida, Florida. Second, second only to California, Florida has the most golf courses in the USA. True I or false? I think that's true. It's I think that's false. True. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Florida actually has the most golf courses in the US. Oh, They're second oh, to oh. nobody. Second is actually um, New York. 
I did oh, wow. not know that. New York State. I didn't know New York was so popular for golf courses. But yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's not a tropical kind of place. It doesn't. Okay. It doesn't scream golf course to me. No, not to me. California screams golf. Course. And California is the third. Florida has more oh. than twelve hundred golf courses. Yeah, that's that's interesting. that's interesting. All right, number four. With over thirty million guests per year, Universal Studios Resort Orlando is the most visited resort in the world. With over thirty million guests per year. Universal Studio Studios Resort Orlando is the most visited resort in the world. True or false? I would say it's probably Disney. I would say that's false. It's false, and it is Disney. Aha. Uh -huh. Like by imagined, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. Disney World opened in 1971 is the planet's most visited and biggest amusement park resort with 50 million guests per year. Yeah, that is that is a crazy amount. All right. So number five, last one. Florida uh -huh. has the longest coastline in the contiguous United States. Florida true. has the longest. Yes. One hundred percent true. It's a hundred. Wait, what? It's actually one thousand one hundred and ninety seven statute miles with eight hundred and twenty five miles of accessible beaches to enjoy. Eight hundred and twenty five yeah. miles. Do, do you know how long it takes to drive from Miami in the south to Tallahassee, which is where I live, or the capital of Florida, which is up in the north, the north is most, one of the northest most cities of, Tallahassee, of, of Florida? I don't. Eight how hours. long does it take? Eight, eight hours. Eight hours? On the road driving. I've done that many times. Eight hours? Eight hours in a car. Yep. My God. I've done it. My God, that is crazy. Eight mm -hmm. hours? Eight hours in the car. No, man. No, I... so the, moment, the moment you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. I've driven many times on those cars. <laughs> Eight <laughs> hours? Jesus. Eight hours. The longest, the longest I've actually stayed in a car, in a moving vehicle, was four and a half hours. And I was from Birmingham to London. And that wasn't even a straight drive. No, no, no. <laughs> but Florida, is, when you're going from Miami to Tallahassee, I mean, some people speed a little bit and you, you get on the eight. Um, but but it's not. You go through hills and valleys and 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 you go miles and miles of not seeing nothing but mountains and trees. Not mountains, but you know, but hills and stuff and animals and 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 just For just pure. And you have to. Go through the Everglades. You know, sometimes you have the occasional alligator crossing the street. It, it's 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 madness. <laughs> it's, it's wild. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's madness. It's madness. You ever, you ever got yourself like involved in with an alligator? When I said Isaac, you have ever been in close encounters with an alligator? No, and I'm not trying. I'm not even trying to. Uh, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't like that experience whatsoever. That's like it's a, not something on my wish list. Nope. That's not it. And, and what, what started you on the path? I mean, what, what got you into wanting to be a doctor? Like, what, 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 when was the calling heard for you? Oh, my goodness. I, I wanted to do this from the age of five years old. Believe five? Five. That's formative. It, it, it was always, I was always intrigued by it. I believe that, obviously, I, couldn't, I didn't know, put much sense to it then. Mm -hmm. 
But the added benefit of growing up, I, I tell people all the time, you know, the rest of the world refers to the Caribbean as a third world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so as I always tell people, I am very grateful for my third world upbringing because of the fact that, you know, in, in, in my community, I'm from Newtown. Mm-hmm. And Big up saying kids on Nevis one time. Of, of course, absolutely. <laughs> I'm a proud Kittishan. I'm a Kittishan first. First, good. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a citizen of Stinkett and Nevis first. That, that is my home. That is my country. Everything has come after it. Indeed. Um, but but I, I had the added benefit of obviously growing up and seeing people um, who look like me, first of all, mm-hmm. right? Because that is important, especially when you leave the Caribbean, the, the, the cradle of the Caribbean. Um, you, you step out into a larger world, you recognize that not everybody looks like you. True. Um, but I was benefit. I was uh, benefited by people who look like me, who were doctors and lawyers, and are walking the streets. Right? It's very easy to go down Bastia, mm-hmm. go down Tower Street, and see somebody, doctor so and so, walking the street, going in. Right? Mm-hmm. And so you start identifying, um, you start seeing yourself in those people. And I, I really think that my mother had a path to play in it as mm. well because I recognized that once I started um, voicing my interest in medicine suddenly all my toys were, were doctor toys oh wow <laughs> so she fostered oh, it she fostered oh, it yeah. oh of course it wasn't the dinosaurs and no 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 it's all little baby stethoscope and baby needle and oh yeah she was, she was on board with this thing there you go I was, brain, I was brainwashed in becoming <laughs> <laughs> but you know once you said it you said it though you started about mommy I want to be a doctor well here you go here's a stethoscope and it it I really think it shows me because obviously at five I didn't know much right mm-hmm. um but I have never really wavered from from wanting to be a physician uh, and I know it sounds very cliche but anybody who knows me well would tell you from the very first time they know me that is the only thing I've always wanted to be wow um mm-hmm. and so I absolutely love it. Um, I, I think it's the best profession um, in the world. Obviously, not the most important because we all we all have roles to play. Right. Um, but but for me and what I like to do and solving puzzles and and really seeing, I really don't see myself as a doctor. I see myself as a detective. A detective. I tell me, oh, absolutely. I tell my patients that all the time. You know, forget the fact I'm your doctor. I'm a detective. And so before I even touch the patient, I ask a lot of questions mm-hmm. just to make sure that the story makes sense. Uh, have everything in a timely manner. What when did what when did you have the fever? Okay, when did you start feeling the burning when you're urinating? Okay, well, mm-hmm. that, this is really your back pain came before the fever. Okay, that's not related, you know. Wow. So and then putting putting pieces of puzzle together, and then obviously examining the patient, and then helping helping come up with diagnosis and a treatment plan. Um, so so, but I enjoy it. So it it came very very young, mm-hmm. and I've never I've never really wavered, and so. Here I am, um, some 11 years of school later. Wow, <laughs> 11 years. Correct. 11 years. So that's like you started in 2010. That's well, well, no, no, well, it started I, before that. I graduated high school. I graduated from Washi, uh-huh. Washington Natural High School. Let me use the proper term, but as we call it, Washi. Washi. Uh-huh. In 2006, I went to. Um, I went to CFB, CFPC for one year. I did um, sciences there. I actually did LIDC and debated for Sankit Seaman on us. What? That's good. I said, 
Yeah, it's that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was the best, um, the best LIDC overall debating speaker in 2007, I believe it was. Well, any, um, that's well rounded. That that's well rounded, huh? man. That's well rounded. Oh, yeah. I, I even, I was in, I was in Skanaipo. I did House of Parliament and all that stuff. Yeah, well, that's good. So you, so you finished. So you, you did one year. That's like 2006, 2007. That's 2007. 2000. Correct. Mm. I finished in 2007. I started, I left after my one year and I started college at Florida Memorial University in Miami Gardens, Florida in 2007. I graduated in 2010 in the fall semester of 2010 in December. Mm. And then I worked for two years as a chemist. And then I started um, medical school at Florida State University in 2013. I did that in four years. Uh, medical school is four years. I finished in 2017. And then I did my training in family medicine with a concentration in hospital medicine. Uh -huh. And I, fin I finished with that last year in 2020. And I started working as a hospitalist, primarily as a hospital doctor, um, last year, September. And then I started seeing COVID patients as a COVID-19 doctor as well. Wow. So, yeah, so Four years of college, four years of medical school, three years of, of training. That's eleven years. Jesus, peace. <laughs> that, that is. I'm, I'm. I'm sorry if I'm thinking about this just like, not as just time, but in economic, in in the economics of it, like mm -hmm. eleven years of schooling. May the Lord with no be, with no with <laughs> may the Lord no may the Lord truly be with you, sir. I I I, I I prefer for quick income for you, and that that's that that's a commit that's a real that's a solid commitment. So you you yeah. you basically started generally then in the height of the of the pandemic like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh boy, that I mean, how how was that being thrusted into that, like? Because you said you started in September. You started actually not started, but you were basically instituted as a doctor hospitalist in September, right? In September. Well, obviously in training in medical, in your residency training, you work in clinic and hospital, you, mm -hmm. but you work on the senior physician. Of course. Mm -hmm. um, because, because they're looking over you as your junior doctor. Of but course. basically as a senior physician, on my own, no one looking over my shoulder, it's the box up with you. Wow. Um, I started that in September, in, in the height of the pandemic. September. Oh um, and in, in in September, not December, in September, yeah. And and it was it was very interesting. Now, a little piece of it, I actually got COVID in June of last year. Oh, you, you had okay, so you experienced firsthand. Correct, correct, correct. And I got it from my wife. What? <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, wife. it's so so interesting to hear, like physicians getting covid yeah. because that's, that's not yeah. like normally in the news you know like like there's I know. No, I know. they don't normally say oh you know we, we're putting these people on the front like we, we always had this thing like you know, frontline workers frontline workers like almost like they're immune mm -hmm. like you guys are immune to this this disease like absolutely not wow so how was that experience i mean how was who was dealing my god how was dealing with it in june so i i so I, I actually my work, my wife got ill first. So my mm -hmm. wife got it from her patient, and like you say, we're all frontline workers. So really and truly, we when everybody else is running from illness, we run towards Toward that it. room. We mm -hmm. want we run towards it, wow. and so we are the most, we are the most vulnerable. You know, when I talk to my friends to put it in context, you know, as a COVID 
physician and as a hospitalist, I walk into three to four to five COVID-19 rooms every day, Aye. right? Some people want to run from those patients. I go in there, get in their face, talk to them. They're coughing and they're coughing and I'm watching and they're talking about their coughing kind of thing every day. Um, but to answer the question, it was, it was for us, we had mild, mild, mild symptoms. Um, symptoms. So my wife, who, who is a, a doctor as well, got, got sick from her patient. And when she came home that day, um, she told me about the case that there was a patient that no one thought it was COVID and the first COVID test was negative and she just had something telling her it was COVID, but they didn't have on the proper gear because the first COVID test was negative kind of thing. Mm. And then, so I said, well, just be careful and monitor yourself. But, you know, we, we all work to do. So she continued working. And... Um, one particular, she came home at the end of her shift, and she said how, how tired she was. She was very, very tired. She got wow. drained, which is not abnormal for us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Feel, yeah, some days you just feel really, really All tired, like washed up, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I said to her, well, you know, get a shower and eat something and, and, and go to bed and get some rest. And then this year you feel in the morning. But we, COVID was not on our minds. Of course. Because obviously I was tired. Mm-hmm. So obviously I, I got in the bed next to her. We talked and I went to bed kind of thing. And then the next day she felt the same, a little bit worse. And she said, but you know what? I, I'm just, just going to shake it off. Let me go into work and, and see and some see what's patients. Up. And, yeah. what to do. and just tough it out. I said, okay. And then she came home at 12 o'clock, which is very unusual, right? Because we eat lunch at the hospital. Uh-huh. So I said to her, I said, why are you home? She said, I, just, I can't move. I can't go anymore. I'm, I'm tired. I'm what? really, really tired. So I said to her, I said, do you think you might have had COVID? She said, maybe, and I'm, I'm about to get tested. I said, okay, so let's start separating ourselves. You know, I go upstairs, sit on X, Y, Z. But remember, mm-hmm. I, it was already too late because the night I, I spent you the night. You slept with her, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Correct. So so when she spiked a fever and her test came back positive, and said, okay, she has COVID. Let me stay in the room. I'll, I'll cook and do everything. I'll put your food on the floor and you'll take it up because I kind of, we were trying our best not to have contact, you know. Mm-hmm. And then about two, three days afterwards, she was the one that pointed out to me that I kept clearing my throat. She said, you just, she texted me. Mm-hmm. And she said, you, I hear you clearing your throat all day and this is not you. What? I said, I said to her, I feel fine. I'm okay. I'm going outside to chop on a tree. Um, because there's a tree in the air that was bothering me, and I wanted to chop it down. So I got my machete and I went out. Dude, you, you're I definitely just... from Saint Kitts, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you, you only could be from two places. Either you're from Saint Kitts or deep south, and then you would have oh, to yeah. be you would have to be Caucasian, deep south. He said, "Yeah, that, that tree out there." I don't like it that tree. Me. It bothers me. I like, don't like that tree. I don't like that tree. I want, I want it to come down. It got to come down so, today. Like, I'm going to chop down the tree. Today, it's going to come down. <laughs> so, so you got to Fair enough, I chopped down the tree and blah, blah, blah. Came back in and they just hit me. I said, well, I feel really, really tired. I feel strange. And I knew I had just, I was in the hot sun chopping down the tree. So I drink some water and everything. And then a fever hit me. Aye. Start to sweat and da da da. Say, oh my lord, I have COVID now. Aye, aye, aye. Um, and true to the fact, I did have COVID. Yeah, for the rest of the um, the day, I spent on the couch. I just didn't want to eat. I, I was having fevers, um, muscle pain, joint pain everywhere, everywhere. Aye. And um, the most important thing we was we were looking at. It, I said to her, and I said to myself, if we start having trouble breathing, we have to go to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. But if we any trouble breathing and we're just having fevers and body aches we'll tough it out you know we eat some soup and noodles and whatever the case may be mm-hmm. and and we'll 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 see how we feel so we kept checking up on each other 
Still wow. separated, but check, check it. How are you feeling? How are you doing? Kind of thing. And we would just order food and have them deliver food to the to the house. Obviously, deliver it on the floor outside. Of course, and when yeah. they leave, then we go outside and we take it up. So no contact. And then uh-huh. no contact whatsoever. And we did that for two weeks. And during that two weeks, I recognized I can't taste my food. What? Food, food ain't got no taste whatsoever. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a, an issue of seasoning. Like mm. you say, you drink coffee, you drink coffee, you drink juice, you drink water, and they all taste the same. And so I lost, I actually lost my my sense of smell and taste for seven days. For seven days, I couldn't taste or smell anything. That was my, my wife didn't have that. Mm -hmm. She She didn't get that. She didn't have that. But for me, I had to force myself to eat. And then you recognize how important smelling and tasting is. Because if you try to, to... just the texture of chicken, for example, is a very weird feeling in your mouth. Yeah, you can't it probably it. would be as it's, it's, it's the, a very, very strange feeling. Is is the is the is the what I call that umami? Umami, like when when you taste like the salt taste that it's like salt and seasoning and so makes chicken what it is. It's not. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's not the texture. It's not the texture. It's not that. It's the, it's the seasoning that makes it taste like chicken. Correct. So when you remove that, and you recognize you're just chewing this rubbery hard thing that's breaking up in your mouth, it's just very strange, very very strange. Um, So that was the experience. And after after two weeks, we got better. And then you know, my wife went back to work because obviously we 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 are dedicated to what what we do. As you can, as you tell, you told the story of your mother. We just this is who we are. This Mm -hmm. is what we do. Nurses, we 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 take this oath to take care of other people. We put of other course. people first. Correct. But I mean, I so just fa- I just found it to be so interesting that the two of you are two physicians, in, well, two doctors in the same house, checking upon one another. Like, hey, you know, just going through the list. Tell me how you feel. Do you have this? Do you still oh, have yeah. a headache? Oh, yeah. It's like that. Oh yeah. That's a that's a different kind of love. That's like that. that I feel like that should be some sort of sitcom. Not to make light of the situation, but just saying, <laughs> you know, okay. you know, dark and dark or something. And you just it's, it's like you sick? Yes, I'm sick. Okay, I'm gonna check up on you. What's your what's your temperature? Oh, yeah. You know, I'm going to take your readings now. Oh, yeah. It's very Absolutely. interesting. Absolutely. I, I checked for temperature several days before I got sick. And I, I would call and say, how are you feeling? She said, I don't feel it right. And I feel warm. I guess, yeah, let me check your temperature. Pull my mask and pull some gloves and go in the room and check your temperature. Wow. That's, that's yeah, what... and I was okay. This is good. I say, you don't have a fever. You feel warm, but you don't have a fever. And I would tell her the number. And she'd say, okay. Wow, you know, because it's, she, it's she herself could like kind of diagnose it's like, okay, this is not too bad. That's not oh, too far to it. That's amazing yeah, stuff. So, so I mean, yeah, okay, yeah. so you experienced COVID, like you experienced it. So it's not to say that you're just out here treating people and looking at it. You actually had, you know, a dose of okay. the disease. So, so I mean, Absolutely. How, how does that, I mean, how has your experience been with COVID in your practice, like in your in your um in, in your hospital, like walk me through this. Like how how has COVID I mean affected the, the, your patients? How has, how has it been going? And uh, it it I have seen it all. Um, I've seen patients come in and obviously scared, mm. um, and worried. I've seen patients cry. Because they're just so frustrated that they're not getting better as fast as they would like. I've seen patients cry because they're free that they may not make it home to their family. I've seen patients cry because they just didn't expect to feel this bad. They didn't 
think that it was going to be this bad. Um, I've had patients who ask me, every single patient asks me one particular question. What's that? How long am I going to be here? When am I going to go home? And oh, that, is the toughest, that is the toughest question. I'm going to tell you why. I mean, we get into some stories as, as we, we, we discuss. Uh-huh. But that is the toughest question. Because really and truly, the truth of the matter is, some will not go home. Aye. And I know that. That is something I know. Uh. And once you start seeing the patients often, you start seeing the comorbidities when they're coming with the diabetes, the hypertension, the obesity. There is something with obesity and COVID that helps you predict. I've got to the point where I would see a patient and within two, three days, I would say to myself, and sometimes I whisper to the nurse, I don't think she's going to make it. Oh, man, are you kidding? Are you serious? And within 10 days, and I give them all I got. I give them all, like, all the medication. And sometimes that prediction comes true. Um, and the nurses say, Dr. Mamani, you called it. I say, because you, you just start seeing the, the pattern. This, this you start seeing the pattern, you know, the kidneys start changing, then shutting down. The lung, listen, she's not going to make it. So it's, and then obviously you have the joy, the joys of having patients that the, the came in feared. Mm-hmm. I remember the one particular lady was transferred here from another hospital out of state mm-hmm. and came. And when I met her, she was just beside herself, crying. She said, I have three sons, I have a husband, I have to go home. I said, ma'am, first of all, you have to calm down. Mm-hmm. You have to be calm down because when you get worked up like this, you already have a lung infection because our patients who end up with um, COVID in the hospital, mm-hmm. not everybody who has COVID, but those who have low oxygen requiring hospitalization, most of them end up with what we call a viral pneumonia, a lung infection from COVID. And she was in such a breathing mask and everything, but she wasn't intubated. She was not a breathing machine, but Mm -hmm. she could talk to me. She was before being intubated. Mm -hmm. I said, if you get yourself worked up and you lose all the breath that you have, you will get intubated. Mm -hmm. I will put you in a... So I I need you to calm down. And um, slowly but surely, she was one one of the ones that turned around mm-hmm. and was able to get home. And I, I remember giving her a hug when and she was leaving. I obviously have on the, the big hazmat suit. Mm-hmm. And and me having COVID, you know, two three months before, yeah, you know, I didn't really fear because I knew that I had some sort of immunity. Yes, uh, natural immunity. Although it was short lived, but I had some sort of natural immunity from from having the virus. Um, so, so You're I've, I've seen it. Um, I, yeah, I was comfortable, and I wasn't. I wasn't really afraid of seeing the patients. Um, so, so but, it's but, almost like to yeah. say that the, the the I mean, you having COVID before you you actually became you know a senior um, might have given you like a, a, a little bit of a, an advantage because I mean that's one thing that nobody ever speaks about either. It's that if you've had uh-huh. COVID before. You know, you know, your body would develop some form of, of, of protection against. I mean, I'm not saying it's foolproof, but yeah. nobody really talks but, and about it. And, it. and it's short lived. Mm-hmm. It's not something you put it against forever. I mean, we could talk about that because I am vaccinated, although mm-hmm. I had COVID, mm-hmm. right? So I don't want people to, to hear me and say that because I had COVID, I don't need to get the vaccine. Vaccination is still very important, mm-hmm. right? And you should get it, whether you had it or not. Um, because what we've recognized in those patients who had, uh, those individuals who had COVID-19, um, their, their antibodies tend to linger around 90 days 
mm. up to 90 days. And then we start to see those numbers decline. And it's when those numbers decline, you can't get COVID again. Oh, so it's right? only 90 days? That's what you... It's about... Rough, roughly. Roughly. Well, I'm talking about... I'm talking about natural immunity. Natural immunity. Natural immunity. Oh, boy. In terms of you having the virus, uh-huh. you have protection up to 90 days. Everybody's different, yes, obviously. Some course. people might go four or five, six months. Mm-hmm. But not every, don't want people to think because I've had this virus, mm-hmm. I, I'm protected forever against it. That True. is not the case. True. Um, but yeah, so this, this last Delta wave, though, was, was bad. And obviously, St. Kitts and Nevis is going through it now. Um, by the numbers, it seems like we have we have hit the peak and we're coming down a little bit. But I, I, I think in one in one particular week, we had five deaths alone. Correct, right? correct. And they were and, and, unceremonious and back to back. I think yeah, one day had absolutely. two. Yeah, and and um, so when for to paint the picture for you for the Delta variant from my hospital, my hospital is a three hundred bed facility. So we have three hundred beds, mm-hmm. right? Um, we got up to 140 positive patients in hospital. What? With almost 50% of our beds, right? Which me, I'm not talking about because you're positive, you come to the hospital. Mm. We admit you, you you cannot go home. And if you go home, you will die, right? That's the so level. I'm talking, about, yeah. I'm talking about 140 COVID positive patients who are sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Need Need twenty four seven care. Yeah. Need oxygen. Need a doctor to check on them every single day. Yeah, so that is what I'm talking. So, I, I, so it just just to reaffirm what you're saying, you're not admitting patients that could heal on their own. You're admitting patients that are at high risk of 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 dying if they don't get this care, if they don't get this twenty four hour treatment. That's what you're saying. Uh, well, the twenty four hour care, care in terms correct. of example, where we come to, you come to the hospital as a COVID mm-hmm. patient. You know, we had three three wards, right? Mm-hmm. Observation, COVID nineteen observation, mm-hmm. the PCU or the ICU step down or the step before ICU, and then the ICU, right? Mm-hmm. And so we would place you <clears throat> on each ward depending on your oxygen requirement, depending on how bad your lungs were, mm-hmm. depending on how much oxygen we had to give you. So if you come to the hospital and you say, I have a fever, and we tested positive, you tested positive for COVID, mm-hmm. but on a room and no oxygen, no oxygen, your lungs are fine, mm-hmm. you go home. True. Right? Mm-hmm. Because there's no need to keep you in the hospital. Mm-hmm. But once you go to the hospital and you're positive and you're short of breath and the oxygen in your blood is low, you need oxygen. You cannot go home because if you go home there's and don't risk. get con- 24 hours, oh, there is a risk, a risk that they will find you dead in your house. No, no, if I'm. Um, and so we had 140 of those in hospital. Mm-hmm. We have 20 bed ICU. Our ICU was completely full. So, with COVID-19 patients. And all of them were on a breathing machine. Every single one of them. And then we had patients on the ICU, step before the ICU, um, and then on the, on the observation ward. And those were full as well. So we had about 100. We got up to 140 patients in hospital at the same time. Um, we got to the point where COVID patients were had to be being backed up into the emergency room. And we had to try and get patients, get them well enough to get them home mm-hmm. so that we can take. We had other hospitals who just couldn't handle their load of COVID patients and started sending patients to us. I mean, it got to the point where the system, our system was truly overwhelmed. 
And I must give kudos to, to my colleagues, the other doctors, and all the nurses in my hospital because we pulled together and we, we, we got through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we, lost, we lost a lot of people. Um, and I myself, I just today before coming to talk to you, I signed two death certificates. Dive. Right. For um, COVID, for COVID then, specifically? Specifically for COVID. Specifically Aye. for COVID-19. And, and this has become a, a, a weekly thing. I sign about two to three a week death certificates. And that's, I'm just one doctor, right? And we have other doctors who are signing theirs as well. So it, it, it was pretty bad, man. It, it, got, it got really, really bad. And I, I, I remember specifically, um, I'm in a little group chat with some friends of mine from high school, and I told them back in August, I said, listen, another wave is coming, and this is deadly. Please be prepared. If you don't have the shot, please get it because St. Kitts and Nevis cannot handle this if, if it looks like what I'm seeing now. But what's, it was pretty bad. But what's the, what's the, I have so much questions. Um, so what, what was the difference in, I mean, from, for you, because you are on the front lines, what's the difference mm-hmm. between the, the previous variants and, and this, this Delta strain of variant? Like what, is there, a, is there an observable difference um, yes, 100%. 100%. Patients were younger. Mm. Patients were crashing. When I say crashing, they were going downhill much, much quicker. And we got points to the point, we got to the point where nothing we did worked. Nothing you did work we, for the Delta variant? Well, well, for, for a lot of the patients. Obviously, a lot of them got better. But you got, you, you got that helpless, hopeless feeling where... Yeah. I am fighting a losing battle. With the other variants, you felt you saw a lot more people getting better. But with, with this Delta variant, we lost so many patients. My youngest patient I lost was 36 years old. 36? 36. One day before, actually hours before she passed away, she held my hand. She said, I'm afraid to die. Dr. Moy, I'm so afraid to die. I said, I will try my very best for that not to happen. But your kidneys have shut down. Your breathing is getting worse. I have to put you in the ICU. I have to. Oh. And within six, seven, within six, seven, eight hours, her heart stopped and we couldn't revive her and she died. Oy. 36 years old. Oh, man. So when, when you put people in, because, I mean, you, you mentioned intubation earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Is it that you have to put the person into a coma before you put them on? Because this is like, what, a ventilator machine or... The, that is a ventilator. Okay, correct. so the ICU and, and intubation is the ventilator, right? Intubation and, is the ventilator. Okay, yes. okay, so you have to put them into an induced coma for them to go yes. on the machine. When yes. they go on the machine, how likely is it that when they reach to that stage that they're going to bounce back to you know to healthy to to it's with the delta variant specifically. And this is a rough estimation, mm-hmm. but the majority of the patients that we put, that we intubated, did not come off the ventilator. Oy. And those who did get off the intubator, the, the, uh, the ventilator, they came out with what we call a trach and a peg, a tracheostomy and a, a peg tube. And I'll explain what that is. Mm. We had to, you know, and, and I, I don't want people to think, well, why do you put them on the ventilator if the ventilator is killing them? That is not the case. If they did not go on the ventilator, they died that day. The de- yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, therefore, the ventilator is the, the, the last fighting chance for us to control your breathing. We just take, knock you out and completely take over your breathing. Mm-hmm. Right? 
because your oxygen was just simply too low with everything that we were doing. Correct. And those who got off the ventilator, the tracheostomy, you're on the ventilator for about up to 14 days. After that, you're on a risk of a lot of different injuries to the lungs, increased risk of worsening pneumonia and all that stuff. Because it's a machine, it's a tube in your throat, you can't stay there forever. Correct. As mm-hmm. the, moisture, the moisture and everything builds up, and the bacteria and fungus and stuff loves moisture, right? Mm-hmm. It does. So what we have to do then is we have hole in your neck. You have to put into, your into your windpipe uh-huh. and put a small tube in there. Now, once you have that in your neck, then we could, then we could, um, you breathe through that. You still put you on the ventilator. You still put in a coma. We hook you up to that. And then, because we, we put this there, we have to now give you a feeding tube. So we also put a hole in your belly and put a tube there and give you, give you liquid uh, nutrition. What? So those patients, yes, those patients who come off of the ventilator and survive the ordeal of COVID-19 from being in the ICU. And these are patients with severe illness, right? Uh-huh. They typically come out of the ventilator, out of the ICU with a trach and a peg, a breathing tube in your, your throat that mm-hmm. we, cut, we, we put there, we cut it and put there, mm-hmm. and a feeding tube. Now, the patients who eventually could come off of that, we're talking about six months down the road after being in rehab and getting stronger, learning how to talk, learning how to walk, and learning how to swallow again and everything, then, then you can eventually get off the, the, the breathing tube in your neck and the feeding tube in the belly. Um, Wow! So, and, and some some people some people don't get off of it. Some people this is now their life, and this is this is it. This is it, correct? So you, you that's like that's like like life support basically. Not really life life support because some patients eventually get to the point where they don't need the ventilator to be hooked up to the 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 the, the, the breathing tube in their neck. They can breathe on their own mm-hmm. through the tube. Through the tube. Um, but, mm-hmm. But they need something called blow-by. We have to still blow-by a little bit of oxygen just to help them stay comfortable. Um, but but most of them, when they come out of the ICU, they don't. once they come out of the ICU with a trach and a peg, they don't go home. They go to a long-term hospital yeah. where they're there for three to six months while the therapists are working with them and hoping to get them stronger and getting them swallow and stuff again. Mm-hmm. But but obviously, that's, that's, that's a huge a huge insult to the body, right? Because you come in as a young 30-something-year-old person mm-hmm. and COVID has put you on your back to the point where you're feeding it to a tube and you're breathing to a tube in your neck. Yeah, and so you, you lose a lot of time, a lot of muscle mass and everything. And I've seen young people come in, walk in the hospital and leave leave on a bed and a breathing tube in their neck and a feeding tube and, and they're like that for a few months before they can get before they can get better. I is it is it that is it that you I mean you you you've spoken about the Delta the Delta variant and, and how it's affecting people and making that basically it's deteriorating the body even faster than than previous um variants, right? Is is is, is am I correct? I don't so want to say it, it, not really deteriorating the, the body. I see what you're trying to say. It, mm-hmm. it, it just makes them sicker quicker. Quicker. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it does. It does. They get, they get sicker and they get, they, they, they get sicker much, much, much faster. faster. And, and we've seen a lot, a lot of death from it. I've seen kidneys shut down in, in 24 hours. Yesterday you're making pee. Today you haven't peed at all. You know? Uh, and in the next day we'll put you on dialysis because your kidneys shut down kind of business. I've, I've seen that. And, and, and all of it is from this what we call this inflammatory response because your body has its own way of trying to fight the virus itself. And so sometimes the, the body is trying to help itself by fighting the virus and putting out this 
systemic inflammatory signs all over the place and mm-hmm. signals and that helps your blood pressure that causes your blood pressure to drop and organs to shut down and all but it's all triggered all of it is triggered by one thing by covid 19 by the virus itself by the virus itself which is attacking you but mm-hmm. does it does it generally i mean you mentioned something earlier and i don't want i just want to bring it back up to make sure that i'm understanding is it that covid 19 primarily um, affects, especially in these severe cases, is it primarily against people with like underlying conditions and obesity, or is it is it just kind of a free for all now? Well, it's it's really a free for all, right? Oh because it, it doesn't it, it enters it enters the 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 the, the, the way the, the virus enters the body through mm-hmm. your mouth and your nose, right? mm-hmm. and so the virus doesn't have eyes to pick out who has diabetes and who has obesity and who has high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. It just goes into an, any and everybody, mm-hmm. and so that is unpredictable. But what we recognize is for those individuals whose body is already fighting something. Yeah, yeah. Their bodies are already a little bit weaker because they're fighting something. Mm-hmm. To add COVID-19 to that, they are the ones that get, they get much, much sicker, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you're, you're adding a strain on, on an already weak system. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So, so but, but it doesn't mean that a young person who is seemingly healthy cannot get sick and end up in the ICU and possibly die that is also possible and there's no way to there's no determining factor to say okay well this person no. is just it's just it just happens so you could be healthy Come. one day and then next day this is you in the ICU you know absolutely absolutely and, and it could happen that quickly I've had patients go from the observation ward and rush into the ICU without even going to the next step which is the ICU step down for monitoring yeah Oh, you, you just go straight to the ICU because you, you're just that sick. Um, because I think it, it all depends on, on yeah. the numbers and on your vitals and everything else and all the tests that we run. Go ahead. The thing is, I think, and, and, and I want to talk to you about this because I think it's really necessary. In where we are in St. Kitts and Nevis, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think most people feel and they have this, this I don't know if we have like this, this, this mindset of it's not going to affect me because I'm, really, I'm a relatively healthy person. I'm going to be f- mm-hmm. like, it's just this kind of, I'm going to be fine. You, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you've, you've been in saying kids, you know, when you come, when you get sick, you drink some tea and, and maybe, yeah, you know, tea. some bush tea and, you know, but this mm-hmm. COVID ain't going to hit me. I got the bush tea, you know, like the mm-hmm. kind of kind of mentality. And, and I, I find it to be a little, a little worrying. <laughs> it, it's a, it's a little worrying <laughs> because I think it's, it's, it, it, that kind of um, presumption is made with a lack of information. It, it's like we, we're basically in our little world here and we're saying, well, I'm only going to affect old people and I'm going to affect people with asthma and I'm going to only do this and I'm going to be generally fine. I'm going to be fantastic. You know, that's the general gist of it. Or, or I don't have any underlying conditions. I'm going to be fine. Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Is it that it do, are we predisposed to being healthier because we're in the Caribbean? Like, is it is it that... You know, being surrounded with fruits, vegetables, and stuff like—is it that we are we are better off? Is it is is it is it that? Not not necessarily, because if let's take the United States out of the picture, mm-hmm. look at our, our, our neighboring countries: Jamaica, Saint Vincent, Grenada, right? Mm-hmm. I, I believe it was—I think it was Grenada. I could be completely wrong. That mm-hmm. recorded 130 something deaths all of a sudden. I think it could be Grenada. I could be wrong. Somebody mm-hmm. check me on that. But but again, or. or uh, sister islands, 
right? Within the region, Jamaica has had hundreds of deaths. Wow. Um, their diet is the same thing as ours, right? So even if we take the United States off the table completely, our sister islands who eat the same food, now, you know, it's no secret that Caribbean food is Caribbean food. We all prepare it differently, a little bit spice here and there. They call it Manish water. We call it the goat water. It's, it's the, goat the goat water, yeah. food, Right? But it's the same ingredients, right? We, we, we prepare our food generally the same way with, with, a, with a different flair here and there. But we have people in, in, in our countries who are considered our kin, we are part of CARICOM, mm-hmm. that are suffering from this disease as well. So then if, you, if you're going to take that, not you, but if someone is going to take that notion that somehow that our diet is different to America, so we're somehow better. Better, yeah. And how do, how do you explain the amount of death that's happening in, Correct. Our, in our neighboring Africans who eat the same food? Correct. So, so, so think that that, guided is, that that notion is a misguided one, and I know a lot of people have it. Mm-hmm. And I will be honest with you, that what we call that lackadaisical, yeah. I'd like to say that word at home, right? That we lackadaisical strategy, mm-hmm. that, that, is the, that is what scares me the most. Because... I've seen what it can do. And I know it will overwhelm our doctors and nurses. And not because they're not properly trained. We may have some of the best in the world because they, they do great work with limited resources. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. But we simply, we, we don't have a 20-bed ICU with a bunch of vents, right? We can't send every single patient home with oxygen. Almost every single patient that leaves the hospital with COVID-19 ends up going home with oxygen. I begin, and, and it's, it's, I'm going to tell you why. I can't keep you until you get back on room air, until you get back on no oxygen, because I need this bed. Yes, yes, Because yes. somebody else is in the ER is sicker than you. Mm-hmm. And so if you're on three liters nasal cannula, the simple oxygen in your nose, and you can walk around the supermarket, I can send you home with, my, it's with some oxygen, because somebody else needs this bed. We may not have that capability at No, I don't. I, I've never seen anybody on oxygen walking around, to be honest with you. You see what I'm saying? So, so that mentality, we now have to change our focus. And that's why when people talk about um, the treatment and the treatment and the treatment, we, we don't have that ability to focus on treatment. We need to focus on prevention. Mm. That, that, because that is our sweet spot. Because we don't have the resources not the brain power, but the resources, resources yeah. to handle 150 patients at JNF because JNF only has about 165 beds. True. And we can't use all the beds for COVID. It's, not, it's impossible. There are other. Under- I remember. Our, no. Absolutely. And our COVID ward only has 12 beds, from my understanding. I think, so. right. I think you're right, yeah. At, at one point in time, I saw 30 COVID patients by myself. That's wow. two and piece of what we have to call the water JNF. So the, the fact is we just don't have unlimited resources, right? And so we have to shift our focus, which I think, you know, Dr. I, 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 I compliment Dr. Laws and her team and Dr. Wilkinson and his team and all those who are working because the message has to be prevention as much as possible because the cure or what it takes for us to get a cure can be very deadly for our country. And the thing is, too, I think it's even, it's even exacerbated because we live in such a small community. Like, I mean, even if you look at the numbers, even if you look at the numbers of sp- the spread that we've had um, from since just before the cricket, the CPL, 
I mean, up until now, I mean, as you say, we look like we're coming right now, which is great. The recoveries are up. Okay. And I am, I, am, I am excited to see those numbers, kind of, you know, the number of infections today go down, yes, but also the recovery yeah. numbers going up in, in great measure. Mm -hmm. I am I'm happy for that. I, 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 but to have such a small community, you know, with over 2,000 cases, it's, a, it's alarming. And again, if, if there's a spread, and there has been a spread, like it's easy to spread because we're a very close knit community. Exactly. And it's only exactly. it's only so much it's only so much the government could do. Like like somebody said the other day, you know, they ain't had no more lockdown. I said, you 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 gotta be kidding. A lockdown isn't lockdown isn't the like isn't an answer. It's not a lockdown is not gonna it might slow it down. It's not gonna stop COVID from spreading. <laughs> you know? We had a lockdown just recently and the numbers basically stayed they basically stayed the same. Yeah. But, but if you think about it, it is their effort to try and stop the movement of people. It, it is, because yes. People, people, people move the virus. The virus moves when people move, Correct. right? And so you have to realize that in the predicament that they're in, and I think every single small island state, every single country in the Caribbean has implemented this lockdown business because that is the tool that they have. Mm -hmm. So I know people are saying, well, stop locking down the country and it is lockdown, don't treat COVID, but... They're using what they have to stop the spread, right? Um, the treatment, mm -hmm. if we want to look at numbers, the treatment for COVID-19, one of the treatments, not the treatment, but one of the treatments is called lambdasivir. And it's an IV medication that we give to patients um, who come to the hospital. So you have to be sick enough to require hospitalization, and then you get the medication. Mm -hmm. It is estimated that one bag alone one bag, a small bag, it's cost about three thousand US dollars. What? One bag. <laughs> you have to get five of those for one patient. What? One bag costs three thousand US dollars, and you need five to so fifteen thousand dollars of treatment. Just, just a bag of. US. But, but remember, US. So multiply that by two point seven for each. <sighs> Isn't that like forty thousand dollars? That is one patient. One patient. Do you see what I'm saying? No so when, way. When, when we look at the measures that our physicians are taking, they are trying to use what they can to stop the spread and slow down the spread of this virus because the alternative. For our small island de developing state, and it's not just Sinkit and Nevis, mm -hmm. I don't think any country in the Caribbean has that unlimited amount of money. No, no. no. I remember this is this is per patient. Per patient, that's exactly what I'm saying. Forty thousand dollars per patient, and that's easy. I'm just saying forty thousand EC dollars per for one patient. For one patient, no way. Remind you, and that's just the medication. That's just remdesivir. We haven't talked about the steroids. We haven't spoken about the oxygen. We haven't spoken about the hospital stay. We haven't spoken about the albuterol inhaler. We haven't spoken about the regular medication that they take at home. The patients are diabetic. We give them their insulin in-house, right? All these things have a cost to it. The 40,000 estimate is simply for one medication that is used to help treat COVID, nothing else. Plus the hospital stay. That's a whole different... Ball How much game, of a thousand yeah. that is? Correct, correct. And we again, we're talking about just one patient. 
and you're also talking about you know a developing nation we don't we legit do not we don't have those resources like i mean of course. you can't even charge you can't charge anybody that you, you see what i'm saying like there's no you way can. you can't you can't like say, oh well you know i'm going we're going to treat your 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 grandmother or your mother for for covid um it's going to just ball pack is going to cost you about $85,000 um with all uh-huh. the treatments and she's going to uh-huh. be here for hopefully a very short period of time because you know there are other people who are waiting as well that you know need the bed that she's on so we might have to send her to here with you know with, with oxygen so she could breathe and not die while she's home like if you think about it it's such a it's such a a, a clustered mess like it's just so much <laughs> it, it's so much to it and 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 the thing is again it, we just we take it so much for granted like I mean, we've been talking about um, like vaccinations and I mean, touching on it, just just touching on it. There's uh-huh. so much uh-huh. people here and it's alarming to me. There's so much people here that are vehemently like then I don't think we're necessarily anti-vax um, nation because I, I don't think so. I think they're anti the COVID vaccine. Yes, it's just anti-COVID va- anti-COVID vaccine. I'm not even going to get into the politics of it because that's a whole other conversation together. That's but 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 in terms of in terms of the vaccine itself, I, I I struggled. Why why are we? I mean, you 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 you're one of us, right? Why are we of, so of so vehemently against this thing? Like, what why? Well, two reasons. Two reasons. The first uh, I could explain. The second one, it's I, I can't explain, but I know exactly what it is. The first one is I think people truly have questions about how was it developed so fast? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why why are they pushing it so often, et cetera, et cetera. So those are legitimate concerns. And then, but, but I think part of that, though, part of that is I think people are taking information from their neighbors, mm. right? And not necessarily from the medical professionals. For example, if I, if I want to learn about doing a podcast and media and, and all this stuff, I'm not going to ask, you know, someone who, who I'm not going to ask a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because if a pharmacist wouldn't, I would come to you, mm-hmm. right? Of course. And I would ask you questions and I, I would take what you say because you have the experience. You studied this. I presume you had the experience doing this. You had it successful doing it. So I should trust you. But in, in this case, I think people are taking information from everywhere but the doctor or the nurse. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yes, yeah. And so, true. you know, you start hearing because, because like you said, I'm one of I'm, I'm a tradition. And so, whenever any little voice note passes, a voice note passes around, it comes to my phone, right? It, because it has to. My friend sends it to me. It has to. Yes. And it's really, it, it's really frustrating because clearly, when you hear these people talk about the vaccine and what it's going to do to your body, and it's going to do this and do that and change your DNA. You clearly, you know, this person has no, no science background whatsoever. None. But people believe that. But yet, when, when one of our medical professionals, our medical doctors or nurses, decide to speak on the vaccine, then they choose not to believe. So I think, you know, we, we are seeking information in the wrong places. Now, what is driving that? Unfortunately, some people just don't know and they don't believe and they don't trust because some people don't trust medical doctors. Mm-hmm. I understand that. Um, but remember, we are privileged in St. Kitts and Nevis. We're 
most of the medical doctors look like us. They do. In other countries, they don't. Mm. You see what I'm saying? I do. I see what you're saying. And, and, and the, the medical treatment and medicine in St. Kitts does not have the same history as medicine here in the United States. Mm. Right? Mm. And, and the, 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 the additional thing is, you know, anybody could come and say anything. Right? But when you have your own promoting something, remember, at the end of the day, our CMO and our chief of staff and all these people, they don't have nowhere to go but think it's in Nevis. True. This is their home and it's it's close. They, they're not leaving things in Nevis to go back to anything. This is where they live, mm -hmm. right? Um, so they have a vested so, interest in it going well. It's ab not... Ab absolutely. Anybody could fly in and say anything and fly out. These people, are, they live there. True. That's a whole different story. And we see them, I see um, them all the time. And then, of course, yeah, but, but here's the thing, but we know them. They've been taking care of us and our family for years. For years. And I'm not just talking about the two doctors who are the face of it, Dr. Wilkinson and Dr. Laws, but because you have, obviously, you have a whole bunch of other doctors behind mm -hmm. the scenes working in the ER, working on the ward, helping take care of patients. So those two are the face of the medical field on the, on the island. Um, but there is a plethora of doctors and nurses, as you know, behind the, behind the treatment and behind the, the, the fight for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. But the second point is, is, is what is driving some people, not everybody, but unfortunately, in my beloved Sinkitanivas, politics it does. has a very strong hand in our daily life. And I think that some are using their political affiliation to justify uh, their, their, their disgust of the government of the day, mm -hmm. whether it's their party or you know, whoever it is, because I'm not really here to discuss politics. Same here. But the, but they use their disgust with whoever is in power at the time. Once it's not their party, they're using that to somehow hurt the numbers um, and, and, and fuel their decision not to get the vaccine or to be vehemently against it to the point where they're, they're persuading other people to not, not to get it. it. Yeah. And, and I think that, that is an ex extremely dangerous position for our country. Um, again, because, because of what I've seen that this virus can do. There's a, there's an interesting um, vested interest. Like, you, you know, when we spoke about um, the CMO and, doc, you know, Dr. Wilkinson and so on, like, they live here. We see them. I see them all the time. Um, and you see them in <laughs> you see them in places like the grocery store. Like, you know, yeah, there's Dr. Laws. You know, it's not like you know, she's not weird that she's going to value math, you know? Um, uh -huh. But again, the other side of it is that you have people who have a vested interest in, I, I don't want to say calamity, but to uh -huh. see things, as you said, not go well. And it, it, it's, yeah. it's troubling because it doesn't matter if, you know, people get hurt, um, if people perish. Like I told somebody the other day, you know, it, it doesn't, some, somehow it feels sometimes that it doesn't even matter if the person is just king of the ashes. You know, as uh -huh. long as they get dethroned, it's just, it doesn't matter. And, and I think it's, it's, it's playing a part where it shouldn't when it comes to health. You know, and, and it, it's sad. You, you're here, you're listening, you're, okay. If, if I don't know about COVID, if I don't know about the vaccine, I could, I could try to learn more about the vaccine. But again, Correct. I'm listening to people talk about the vaccine who have no background in medicine whatsoever. I'm just, I'm legit taking what they say 
for as as foolproof knowledge like like yeah you're right blah, blah, blah. like i remember i was speaking i'll share a story with you i was speaking to one of my aunts the other day and she's mm-hmm. completely against you know the vaccine and whatnot and i'm i'm like but why why are you against the vaccine she's like you know she heard that when you take the vaccine it's going to um it's going to make you weak and it's just a way to get rid of the older population because she's she's a little bit older so to get rid of the mm-hmm. older population and um you know they don't they never really they never really wanted us to strive and it's it's the vaccine is for poor people because the rich people really ain't taking it and i'm like which 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 where are you getting this stuff from like where are you getting this and if you ask the question and she's like when i talk to my friends this is what we are talking about when i go online and i watch this video the other day i'm like you watch this video from where auntie where did you get this video from what video are you watching and, and the, the, the question you should ask, and I, when I hear people, you know, say this stuff, I mean, I, really and truly, I, I tend not to address. Uh, I was I went to the dog park the other day with my dog, mm-hmm. um, and while there, there was a group of older individuals who mm-hmm. started talking about obviously pol- because politics is very strong here as well, right? Okay. True. Um, the the president and the vaccine and how it's not as bad as people say it is and I obviously I could easily jump in and mm-hmm. say well clearly you don't know what you're talking about because <laughs> yesterday I put up two people there right mm-hmm. so it it's and I just took I took my dog and I went home kind of thing but but you're right but, but what I want you to do when you hear this stuff from from different people is you challenge them and said have you spoken to your doctor true. I, 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 legit, I really feel that the answer you will get is going to be no. Most of the times, Because no. again, again, why would I come to someone who's hosting a podcast? Let's say you know nothing about farming, right? No. Why would I come to you to ask you about farming? True. I should ask farmer. Why would I come to you if you're not a fisherman to ask you about fishing? True. And I it, should ask someone who's into fishing. Do you see what I'm saying? Exactly, but even on top of that, I should be honest enough to say, this is not my field. Correct. This, this is not my field. The, I mean, one of the reasons I have you on this podcast is because you are a medical doctor. I'm not a medical <laughs> doctor. I mean, I could, I could go on the internet and I could, I mean, come on, doctor, you better do all kind of searches. You search yeah. everything, you go on YouTube, you watch all these videos about pro, and I try to get a balanced view of it. I try to understand why people don't want to do it, especially in America. It's mm-hmm. very understandable. You know, the, med- the medical community has experimented, especially on black and, and, and you know, minority black and brown people. Sure, yes. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even even when it comes to medical empathy, I mean, people, mm-hmm. there are people that walk around think, think that, thinking that black people have a higher pain tolerance. So, you know, exactly. these, these kind of underlying racist barriers, they do exist. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not going to question you in, in terms of where you wouldn't trust certain things and certain people. But again, you're putting yourself in a very dangerous situation if you're going to make the call and say, well, I don't like the vaccine, I'm going to take it. But you don't have any information to back up what you're saying. There's no Correct. information. Yeah, there's, and- there's none. And, and even when you go online, and it, again, Google is very, we live in a very interesting age because sometimes, depending on your preferences, Google is going to spit out exactly, it's going to be a sounding board and an echo chamber for what you already believe. Mm-hmm. And that's sad 
Because there's no objective truth in what you, in what you believe. You just believe but, but it. Not, not only that, I think it's really important, right? And, and I'm not saying believe what your doctor says. Mm. I think you should have a conversation with your physician. <laughs> have a conversation. Ask your questions. True. And have him or her discuss it with you, right? And again, if I'm reading a, a farming book, I'm going to take it to a farmer to help me decipher the information that I'm getting. True. I'm going to understand everything I read on farming, on farming potatoes, right? I'm going to understand this method that they're describing. In fact, I want to see it myself. How does it actually work? What is yeah. the setup? I'm a visual person. I'm a visual person. I learn best by seeing mm -hmm. the image and then I could correlate the information with it, right? True. And so... I will have to go to someone to help me decide. Nothing is wrong with getting information. Nothing is wrong with reading up and doing your own research. And mm -hmm. I tell people all the time, do, do your, own, your research. own research. Do your own research. But, but come back and help. Let me help you decipher the information that you've gotten. Yo. That's, you that, that's all I'm saying. And let, that, let me help you decipher the information. And then, based on that deciphering process with me and you, you can make an informed, an informed decision. decision. And that's, that's and the if point. In the end, mm -hmm. If in the end you decided, I understand what you're saying, Dr. Maloney, I've done my research, I understand, but this, this, I just want to hold off, I will respect that decision. True, because right? it's your decision so, to make. Yeah. It's your decision to make, mm -hmm. but I don't want you to make an ill-informed decision. True. Because an ill-informed decision could cost you your life. And, it, that's it, that's, and that's the thing. Are the lives, your life and the life of the people that you love because the people that you Absolutely. love are the people who you're going to be in contact with. I mean, we... Let me give you a situation. Go ahead. There was a young woman who came to the hospital for COVID. Got better and went home. Mm -hmm. She was against the vaccine and she convinced her husband not to get the vaccine. Mm. He ended up coming to the hospital was sicker than she was, ended up in the ICU, 14, 14 days on the, on the ventilator in a coma. We woke him up, put the breathing tube in his neck, put a, a feeding tube in his belly. He couldn't come out the ICU. Liver shut down. He turned yellow. Aye. Kidney shut down. He stopped making urine. He had to be on dialysis. He had a heart attack. We revived him. And he got to the point where he recognized that this, this, we are simply keeping his body alive. Alive, yeah. He is not going to be, he, he would not come home as the husband that you know. And I had to call up when I have a really hard conversation with her and explain to her what is going on. And she refused. There's something called DNR, where if the patient is so sick. Do not resuscitate. Correct. That if the patient is so ill, and you know, it's not just one doctor, but several doctors have made the determination that the, the, it is in the best interest of this patient that we continue treating them. But if they die, we do not resuscitate them. We do not try to bring them back. Mm. Because if you bring back a person, you bring them back to the state that they were in immediately before they died. So it's not that you bring them back and they get better. Oh. Some people do, right? Uh -uh, this uh -uh. is what I'm saying. Yes, yeah, see what you're saying. Yeah. It's, for example, you're riding a bike, you fell, I pick you up and put you back on the bike. The same spot where you fell and say, okay, do it again. You might still fall again. Correct. Right? Yeah. It's not, it's not like I, I pick you up off the bike, dust you off and put you on the grass and a whole different area. I put you back exactly where you where fall. Where you were, yeah. Correct. 
And so I had to have that really hard conversation. It took about 30 minutes. And I had to painstakingly paint the picture for her. I said, listen, if his heart stops, I'm going to break every single rib in his chest because I have to break his ribs to pump his heart. I'm going to shock him. I'm going to shock him, and I'm going to inject medication to try and get his, his heart going again. I will do that until I get him back. If I get him back and his PD, it stops again, I will continue pressing on them. So whatever I didn't break the first time will be broken the second time. Do you really want me to, to do this to your husband over and over and over again? Is this what you really want? I said to her, because if you say yes, trust me, we will do it. That mm-hmm. is our oath. We will do that and try to get him back. But at some point in time, with kidneys failing, and, and obviously his lungs have failed because he's intubated, and his kidney and his liver have failed, he's turning yellow, what we call it, jaundice, ictus, mm-hmm. he's becoming terrible. Do God. you really need to bring back somebody, this body, to come back to the state? When I, we have tried everything, everything, he's been here for, for, for a month and a half in the hospital. Do you really want us to do that? So, so I, I go That's back to the point, one. but I was, I was talking to the nurse, and the nurse said, the nurse gave me, because nurses have information that a doctor something didn't have. They, they do. They they, oh, yeah. You, yeah. I tell my, they want train, I trained, do not walk into a room before you talk to that nurse. You, you get to know what is the nitty and gritty that's going on. Yes. They would know something that you, you don't, don't know. You don't know, yeah. Often. And so the, the, the nurse told me, well, Dr. Mulan, you have to understand, she convinced him not to get the vaccine. I know. That is why it was tough for her to let go. Because she felt guilty. You see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying, but you know, man, you think that, and she probably just assumed that because she, you know, got back to 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 you know normal no, or pre- not, not not probably. Not probably. She, she said did. it. She yeah. she said she said, You guys saved my life, why can't you save his? He has to come home. I'm not ready for him to go. Please bring him home. He has to come home. No. That, that is what she told me. This is first-hand experience. I'm not talking no hearsay, as we mm-hmm. say at home. Mm-hmm. This ain't no hearsay. This is what I had a conversation with my patient's wife. Eventually, that gentleman died. And he went home in a coffin. Wow. So you can see that her convincing her husband I would say indirectly, some may say directly, but indirectly yeah, that, yeah. led to him not being vaccinated, ended up being intubated, trick and pegged, a long hospital stay and dying. Now, on the flip side, there's some patients who, who are vaccinated who, who get ill. We could talk about that too. Sure. And one or two may die, right? Because it could be balanced. We, we've, had, we, we've had patients who, who are fully vaccinated mm-hmm. uh, but have a lot of medical problems, right? And some of them were taking medications to suppress their immune system. So the immune system was already weak. We give them the, the vaccine to try and help them uh, mount a response. Mm-hmm. But because of the medication that they were taking, that process, you know, them mounting a response was not really sufficient to help them fight because they need the medication to prevent the loop, to, to, to keep the lupus or whatever else that they have under control, right? Or this patient may have had so many... COPD, open heart surgery, had several heart attacks and strokes before. They got the vaccine, but they got COVID on top of it. And so they still end up getting really, really sick and, and, and dying. And then, but, yeah. but the fact 
and the fact of the matter is, is that, like you said, and I'm giving kudos to your statement, where the decisions are, that, that you make, uh, the, 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 uh, the ill-informed decisions that you make, if they don't affect your life, they'll affect someone else's life that you love. And I've seen it firsthand. Correct. But then also, I mean, man, it's so much here. It's so much to, un- it's a little bit to unpack. Um, It's a little bit to unpack because I think one of the things that we are struggling with here and people are trying basically to conform or conflate these two things together. It's like, but this person had the vaccine and they died anyway. And it's like, but that statement is not a complete statement because you're not, not taking into consideration that, yes, Somebody could be vaccinated and die from a myriad of other things. A vaccination Absolutely. doesn't stop you from dying. It doesn't, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like, and I remember one time I was talking to this this lady and she was talking about a, a situation she had in St. Kitts um, with a loved one who died and the loved one was fully vaccinated. Of course, she's, she was very honest about what was happening. She said, look, you know, she had sepsis. She was really, really yep. sick. She Stop taking uh-huh. she medication for a bit. And all of that is part of the picture. All of that that people, it, uh, not to cut you off, all of that is part of the picture that people don't know. All they hear is vaccinated and died. And died. That's it. And it gives them There's credence to say, I'm not going to take the vaccine because people still dying with the vaccine anyway. I'm like, but yeah. you're not, you're not taking the full account of what happened. You're, you're cherry picking one thing out of many things. You yeah. know, and, and, and again, she was, Doc, she was very, very, very forthcoming. She was very upfront. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she wasn't taking her pills. She, she, she got admitted. She died in two days. Again, it, 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 she, she was vaccinated. She had COVID, but she died uh-huh. from a bunch of other conditions too. And the thing is, even when they say um, people died, they, they died from COVID-related. Like, it's COVID-related. <laughs> Sometimes I don't say, Correct. you know, it's, it's because I guess that's the term you have to use because sometimes people have a lot of underlying conditions that contributed to their death. It's not just uh, COVID. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I had a, uh, my first vaccinated patient who died. It was a 95-year-old woman. 95? Uh, <laughs> she was 95 years old. She came to the hospital because she was having some fever and a little bit of shorter breath. Uh, and so we put her on the observation unit. Hear me well, the observation unit. She's on a very, very small amount of oxygen. She would watch TV and eat pudding every day. Mm-hmm. Eat um, pudding. How come that doesn't sound like the most... That doesn't sound <laughs> the most healthy thing. Watch TV and eat pudding? But she's 95, right? So <laughs> you know, at, at some age... And she was only taking about two or three tablets uh-huh. at 95 a day. Wow. That's not... That's not. I've seen patients take 20 something tablets every day. Mm-hmm. And they need those to survive. So, so relatively, you know, she had some harder hearing. But what we found was that, yes, she was too tested positive for COVID. Yes, she had the COVID pneumonia. Yes, she required some oxygen, a very small amount. But she also had a very bad, bad bladder infection. Oh, no. Right? Uh-huh. And she, the, the bacteria that we found was resistant to a lot of the antibiotics that we, we, we would give. And so she had to get some special IV medication that was prescribed by the infectious disease, the bacteria doctor. Uh-huh. And... She didn't go become septic. Her blood wasn't wasn't um, infected with the bacteria. It was just her bladder. But eventually, all these things, when right? she had some heart issues at, at, at baseline. Mm-hmm. So if you add on top of that and add this really bad bladder infection, her heart started to beat funny. And her, we recognized that, you know, say, hey, you know, she has good days, she has bad days. So we call her children. 
And, you know, we would allow patients, families to come and see them mm-hmm. only at the end. Oh. You could only visit your family member if we feel that they were so sick. That they're not going to make this, it. This was your last time to say goodbye. Oh, man. Uh, that is heartbreaking so in and of itself, though, still. Of course. Jesus. Of course. Because we, we don't want to just call and say, hey, you know, so-and-so passed away. We wanted to, we wanted, we tried to give you updates every day. You know, she's getting worse today. Mm-hmm. Her heart is doing this funky beat. You know, I want you to come in and see her. And her daughter and son, who are also doctors, mm-hmm. came in to see and they had to put on the suit, the suit and everything, and, and sign the waiver and mask up and put on the face shield and everything. And while they were there with her, she fell asleep. And on the monitor, on the monitor, the nurse went and told them her heart has stopped. Do you want us to revive her? And they said no. Let her be at peace. Oh man! And that's how she died. That's how she died. Mm-hmm. But you see the difference. You see the difference. I didn't wash it onto the ICU. She wasn't intubated. Mm-hmm. She was literally talking to her children and watching TV. And then she fell asleep and her heart simply stopped. And she, she just stopped. That sounds like... 95 years old. Give up the ghost you know, like, I'm... Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm okay. I think, I think she, as, as we say at home, she was waiting to see her children. Just waiting, when she yeah. started, it was done. That was it. Goodbye and I had a nice life. Thanks. Yeah. In fact, in fact, the family... Thanked the nurses. Mind you, the mother just died. Mm-hmm. They thanked the nurses for taking care of their mother. We don't have that culture here, man. We, I know. We don't have I that know. culture here. I don't, you know it for sure we don't have that here. Like, I I, I've seen some messages lately that just like... And again, my mom's a nurse. So the, mm-hmm. the, the kind of expressions my mom has given to me over the years like the real oh. like it's like what people don't say what people oh, don't yeah. say like you know and oh, yeah. I, I don't want to and i, I want to be as empathetic as possible because losing a loved one is 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 hard and it's it's it's, it's very rough it's rough and, and, and it's honestly, draining and everybody everybody reacts differently they right and, and let's we have to be empathetic everybody reacts differently and i've had you know, when I was in training, we were part of what we call the code team, where whenever there's a, a, someone's heart stops, they announce your name over the entire speaker in the hospital, and you have to run there and try to revive that person. Wow. And, and and this is no matter what time of day, what time of night, three in the morning, code blue, Dr. Maloney, you know. And um, that's what actually got me hooked on hospital medicine and taking care of the very sick. Um, that's with the adrenaline. And, and I really like putting... The, the puzzle together in that quick, to quick help. moment helping in, in that in that moment um, but we we I remember I had a particular family um, that when I went to tell them I told them straight up you know I'm going to try two more minutes I've been working on her for 30 minutes mm-hmm. typically we do 20 minutes after that I can't guarantee you that you know her brain has gotten enough blood and all this stuff and if I can't get her heart back I would do my last round, you know, mm-hmm. my last round, my last two two minute rounds um, of compression because compression is every you do a pulse check every two two minutes. But I'll do my last two minutes, my last round, and and if I don't get her back, I, I will call it. And I said, do, do you want to come in for the last two minutes? And honestly, a lot of people don't like to see it, yeah, because it is not it's not as pretty as in a movie. Yeah, it's deep, right? 
it, it's very, very different. And in a movie, most people survive. You know, in yeah. real life, most people survive. Don't most people survive. do not survive. Um, and I said, do you want to see it? Do you want to come in? And they said, no. Because we, we were literally breaking the ribs in this person's chest, right? Uh. And when I, when I got back in the room, I, I made the announcement and said, let's do one more round. Let's give her one more chance. And if we can't get her back, we call it. To call it means we pronounce her dead. Dead, yeah. And um, we did a round. And I always do my pulse checks, right? I said, somebody check the carotid pulse. Someone check the femoral pulse. Someone check the, the, the pedal pulse. And the, the leg and the pulse on the top of the foot. Mm-hmm. So I check in three different pulses along the body. You don't have one, you don't have one, you don't have one, there's none. And then I listen with my stethoscope to make sure the heart is not beating, and then I pronounce the patient dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did, we went through all that, and, and obviously the patient had passed away, and she had flatline and everything. And so when I went out to the, to the daughter, I, I said to her, as I approached her, I kind of hung my head. Mm-hmm. I, tried to, I, I tried to have my body language convey what I'm about to tell you. Yeah. You know. And, and oh my goodness, she cussed me out and called me everything and scream and I kill her mother. And it, you know, it's, it's, Ugh. and I, I understood, I understood it. And I just, I, I told her I'm very sorry and I left. Um, obviously, I was still, that, those days I was sleeping in the hospital 24 7. Um, we covered that shift sometimes. So wow. I, I, back to sleep and the nurse called me a little later and she said, the more families here and the doctor wanted to call you back to the room. And I was like, you know, my first question was like, she just cussed me out. Yeah, like, what's wrong to cuss me out again? <laughs> but I went back, right? Mm-hmm. But because that is my duty. But really and truly, she wanted to apologize. No. And uh, she said, I just wasn't ready to hear it. And I, I, I hugged her and I said, I completely understand. Right? And so everybody reacts differently. There's some people who cry, there's some people who scream, I've had people faint. It, 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 it's all different. It's Everybody different. reacts very differently. Um, but, but yeah, I think... I think um, but that got to be tough, Doc. Like, I mean... Because, I mean, you, you're saying that on a weekly basis you would sign, like, death certificates. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, 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 is it... I mean, how much of a, like, mental... Like, emotional... Is it, is it an emotional time well now? Or is it just, like... I tried my best. I could resign to. I did my best, and it, you know this person. I mean, how do you reconcile that? That. I you mean, know, it's on a regular. Everybody deals. Everybody deals with it differently, right? I've seen nurses cry when a patient passes away, especially from COVID, because in COVID we had we had three to four people dying every day. At one point in time, it felt like you just hear code blue, code blue over and over. Um, mm. I've seen nurses cry. I've seen my colleagues, fellow doctors cry. Um, I'm not we am my wife would tell you I'm not is not emotional. I'm not really an emotional person. But mm. It doesn't mean I don't deal with it, right? Mm. Um, but but I tend to compartmentalize my emotions, which some may say is not a good thing. But but it, it it's what I've done to help me deal. But do I feel sad? Uh, absolutely, I, I do feel sad. You know, especially when. When, you know, the, the first young lady who held my hand and said, please don't let me die, I'm really scared of dying, and she ended up dying in eight hours, you know, I, I went over her file again and said, what did I miss? And then really and truly, there was nothing. I spoke to the ICU doctor, and he, he, I called him, I called the kidney doctor, and, and they said, this, and, you know, we all call each other by our last name in medicine, so it's in the and let it go. There's nothing you could have done differently. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, you, you, 
you feel this this loss sometimes. Um, I will share this with you. When I was in training and doing clinic work, um, and I do miss it, when I was in clinic and hospital, now I was just a hospital. When I was in clinic and hospital, and my clinic patient passed away, which is the patient I've taken care of every single month, every three months or often. Mm-hmm. And they, I would go to the world. Um, and I would always sit in the back and to pay my respects. And sometimes that's how I deal with it. I would go at the end um, and give my, my condolences to the family. I've never had a family approach me in a wrong way. They're mm-hmm. always very happy that I showed up and everything. But But... What I tend to do is open communication. So if I'm taking care of your family member and I start seeing things changing, I will let you know as the family, I am concerned about this. I'm, mm. I, have noticed, I am working on it, but this is what my biggest concern is. is that yeah. the, the kidney is changing or her lungs are changing and I'm going to have, um, we do a special scan and I'll try this, and, but this is, this is my biggest concern. So in the, in the end, once we get to the point where I'm calling you to say, you know, X, Y, and Z, I don't think I could get mom home. I don't think she might be able to, to survive this. I've planted those small seeds along the way. Yeah. Um, so it's not a shock. From it. Correct, correct, correct. Especially from seeing it. Um, so so that's how I tend to, to deal, deal with it. it. And I think for, for me, um, I try to ease it on the families. You know, and said, I'm fighting, I'm doing everything I can, but keep in the back of the mind, this is a really, really bad disease, and we'll do our best, um, but I can't make any promises. And, and they're truly, truly grateful. Because a lot of people, whether you believe it or not, like a frank conversation. Oh, they, they do. You got quoted, right? Wow. You don't want to sell them false hopes. True, uh, true. But in, in other words, you don't want to come across as harsh as, oh, she can die anyway. You, you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You still want to offer hope. Um, you still want to give give it all you got. Mm-hmm. Um, but understand that we're not God at the end of the day. True. Right? And um, sometimes so it's, that, just, that's how, it's too that, much. It's too far. That's how I could hit. And then I have a dog when I go home who wants my energy, and then I could always <laughs> discuss the kids. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> and... That dog. For me inside. And then my wife is obviously the comfort. And obviously my parents, both of my parents are still living in Tinket. So okay. I'm not, it's not like I, I, my entire life is here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I would talk to my parents and I would discuss and say, hey, I had this really tough case and this patient, I don't think she's going to make it. And, you know, they would comfort me and say, hey, we know who you are. We know you give it your best. Once, once you continue to give it your best, that's all. That's all. That's all you, that's can. All you can do. You know, it's so, interesting. So but you have, that means you have a lot of... You have a lot of support systems because you sound like you have a lot of decompression mechanisms, like having a dog, you know, the unconditional oh, yeah. love of a dog. You know, a dog will never be vexed with you. It's just like, when I you. get home, <laughs> when I get home, I, the first thing I do, I, I kiss my wife and then he demands my energy. He demands? He's nothing, he's nothing but 12 pounds. It's a small little thing. Oh, it's tiny. But he, oh yeah. And he, and she knows. So she's like, yep, he's waiting for you. Oh, my God. Well, that sounds like so a happy home. Oh, yeah. Okay. He brings his toy, and he put it by my leg, and he starts biting my ankle, and he wants me to run after him, and then I, I have to run so he can chase me. It's, it's you know, it's part of, of, of the coming home process. The coming home process. You have Dino. <laughs> you have Dino to deal with. Before. Yeah, he, he wants my time. You have he Dino. Those, those things really are helpful. Everybody has their way. Some people write poetry. Some people write songs. You know, but it's really, really important. I'm sure your your mom had her ways as well. Oh, right? she does, yeah, yeah, she does. She she loves kids, so she and she was involved with church too. So my my mom is like deeply, deeply um religious. So 
You know, yeah. it, it's that she has and that commitment. Correct. That's a good outlet as well. Mm -hmm. um, like to care for so people without having to be at the hospital, you know. She's that kind of lady. Yeah, yeah. She had us too, you know. We, you know, we, my mom, she's extremely funny. I, I find her to be hilarious. So she yeah. makes all the jokes. She sings, plays guitar, does all kind of stuff. So she's... she's that, that, that's, how, that's how I deal. And, and um, we, all, we all have our different ways of dealing with stress. But it's really, really important. really, really important that we, we decompress. Decompress, yeah. Because dealing with death every day, um, it, it's kind of unnatural, right? You don't, you don't... It's like going to a funeral every single day. Every yeah. single day. Yeah, and I hate funerals, man. Yeah, I don't like them myself. I don't like. I don't. If I could not go, and I hope, I hope nobody is listening to this. That would be like, that's why you didn't. Go. If I could not go to a funeral, I am. I'm not. I'm not gonna go. Like, yeah. I'm not. Gonna, especially like I would go if like I me and you were tight, like close. But mm -hmm. if if uh -huh. not, I, I'm just gonna. I'm not. I'm yeah. not. I'm not gonna try to be there. I. It's just. Yeah, I am. It's a level of energy there. Even in funerals, I have my coping mechanisms. I, I do not look at the, at the body. Oh, I dear. don't want, like I said, I'm a very visual person, so yeah. I remember that. That would imprint. And so I, I want the last image I have of you to is be of alive. me and you smiling and whatever. That's what I want. Yeah. And, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. So. Yeah, me too. Yeah. All right. Well, doctor. Uh, we're, human. we're human at the end of the day. We are. We are human. We are. And, we are and, human. and I think we have to treat others with that same sort of empathy, like, you know, put yourself in that position. This person just made a lot. This person just had a loss. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. how would I want this to, to be said to me? And would I want somebody to truly understand how I really feel? Like, yeah. Most yep. of the times, yeah. Yep. You, just, yep. you just want that human connection. Well, Dr. Correct. Correct. Dr. Maloney, I want to say thank you so much, man, for being so, like, so honest and so... Like, I, I, I don't know, normally when, when I picture talking to doctors, right, like, I usually picture, yeah. like, you know, lots of jargon, you know, like, you know, hypothetical. But it's just, it's just having that sort of a human, it's just human. Like, I could hear, I could hear and I could understand what you're saying, clearly. Yep. And mm -hmm. some of these, some of these stories, some of them are going to stick with me a bit. But I think it's necessary um, even for us to have these conversations and for people to be able to kind of access these these conversations because they're going to help give you a better picture of, of real life, what is happening, you know, versus uh -huh. what we feel is happening. Because we on the outside, I'm not, I'm not in the hospital, not trained to be there uh -huh. either. We and most of us are not. We have our own jobs, we have our own lives. And we're not really uh -huh. entertaining that kind of medical observation that you are able to have. Yeah. So, I mean, I really, yeah. really thank you so much for being on the show, sir. I really appreciate it. No problem. It was my pleasure. All right. Guys, we've been listening to Dr. Dijon. Is Dijon, right? Dijon. You said it Dijon. Dijon. You see, that's the thing. And, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking Dijon. I was like, but, but, but suppose. <laughs> All, right. All right. So, guys, we've been <laughs> talking to, we've been talking to Dr. Dijon Maloney. Um, who is a medical doctor, and I am so appreciative of him. As usual, my name is Stephen Smith. Guys, you've been listening to Objectively Incorrect, and as usual, peace. No gang says yes. Thanks a lot.